This afternoon we'll deal with Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and there the, on page 531 of the Book of Praise, there the church has summarized the Word of God about Christ's resurrection as follows. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He could make us share in the righteousness which He had obtained for us by His death. Second, by His power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls belonging to the Lord. You'll notice that Lord's Day 17 doesn't make an issue about any issue about the fact of Christ's resurrection. As some people do today, did he really rise from the dead? That's something we accept, the catechism accepts as truth from the word. We, we don't understand it. We don't understand it, we believe it. And the Catechism doesn't go into that, it goes into the benefits of Christ's resurrection. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? In other words, what blessings do we receive because of Christ's resurrection from the dead? And then you notice there are three main benefits that flow from, from Christ's resurrection. And you notice that the, these uh, three benefits are not just for the future, they're, they're for now. That's how the question is posed. How does Christ's resurrection benefit? Not will, but does his resurrection benefit us now? We often, you know, we think that some of the real benefits for believers from Christ's work are for later on, for the life to come. Not so. There are benefits for here, for this life, for now. And this afternoon we'll consider those benefits of his resurrection from the dead for now, for our daily life here and now. And I preach to you the doctrine of God's word about the benefits of Christ's resurrection for this life. We see three things. Are, those three benefits are, first, a new status before God, Secondly, a new way of life for us. And thirdly, a new way of looking ahead. So first of all, Christ's resurrection means a new status before God. A new status before God now. Imagine how astonished those disciples must have been when the Lord Jesus Christ f first showed himself to them after he rose from the dead and appeared there in that room where they were all together because they had resigned themselves to the fact that he was dead and gone. It was over. They didn't want to or they couldn't remember what he had spoken to them before about being raised from the dead. I always find it amazing that the Jewish leaders of that time who had crucified Jesus were more prepared for the resurrection of Christ than his disciples were. 
Those leaders had the tomb sealed and guarded, while the disciples, who had even seen, watched their, their master raise people from the dead, they didn't even seem to entertain the possibility that he might rise from the dead himself. But eventually, the risen Lord shows himself to his disciples, all of them, even to Thomas, who he invites to touch him, place his fingers in the wounds in his hands and in his side. And then we know from Luke 24 that the Lord Jesus, at that time when he appeared to all his disciples together, he asked them for something to eat. And they gave him a fish. And later in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter speaks about Jesus eating and drinking with his disciples after his resurrection. No, he had really physically risen from the dead on Easter Sunday. Amazing. But not just the fact that he rose from the dead is amazing. Also, the benefits that flow out of that resurrection are amazing, congregation. Because the first benefit is, as we confess Lord's Day 17, first by his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. What does that mean? Well, in order to conquer death, the Lord Jesus had to die himself. He took the death penalty for our sins on himself, died in our place, and you see in ourselves we're all guilty before God, no better, no better than those criminals crucified with Jesus in ourselves. Born in sin, guilty of sin, therefore worthy of the severe punishment of God, namely death. It was as if we stood before the judgment seat of God, all guilty of sin and worthy of death. And just, just before the, the judge's gavel came down, somebody else entered the courtroom, somebody who had never done anything wrong, the Son of God made man, and he said to God, whoa, all, all take the punishment these people deserve. Let them go free, punish me instead. And then God says, okay, when the full payment is made, then I'll free these people. See, that's justification before God. We were sinners who were about to be sentenced to death, but then the Lord Jesus Christ came and took our place. He bore the full burden of God's wrath against all our sins, took our punishment for us. But even though Christ bore the full punishment for us, we were still in prison, so to speak. There had to be an official declaration that full payment had been made for us before we could be set free. Every prisoner who's going to be released needs such a, an official declaration so that he or she knows for sure and the guards know for sure they're really free to go. Free to go now. Well, that's what Christ's resurrection was about. Christ died for our sins in our place, bore the curse we deserved in our place, right to the grave, as we saw last week, but then he rose again, and his resurrection certifies that the full penalty for sin has been paid. The risen Lord Jesus went to his disciples and he said, look, it's really me, I live. 
and that's the official declaration of your being free of guilt now and being able to live as free people. And the living Lord Jesus comes to every believer in word and sacrament today and says the same thing. So Christ's resurrection certifies the full, complete payment for our sins has been made. We're really free. Without Christ's resurrection, we'd never know whether he really bore the full punishment for our sins to the very end. We'd never know if we were really free. In fact, as the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, what good would a dead Jesus be for us? We could mourn for him, but we'd never be able to say with any certainty that all our sins have been fully paid for and that we're really free of the death penalty. A dead Christ would in fact mean we are still in our sins. But Christ rose triumphant from the grave, and that was the proof he had overcome sin for us or death for us. The full penalty for sin paid. He lives, and so believers are now free. And he declares that to us in word and sacrament in the church then. The man who bore the death penalty for us comes back, we could say, to declare to us officially every time again too that we are free, that we have a new status before God. Once we were guilty of sin, he died for us, rose again, his living Lord comes to us and declares to us every Sunday again, you're free. Through faith in me, you're free man, free woman. You have a new status before God, innocent and free, child of God, heir. And that new status isn't just something for the future. That's a new status before God here and now for believers. When you go to him now, you can know that God the Father looks on you as innocent, as free, as his child Jesus rose from the grave so that we may know for sure today that in Christ we're free people. As long as we seek our life in him and not in ourselves or anyone or anything else, we're innocent and free before God in him. He rose to declare that to us, to show that to us, to prove that to us. That doesn't mean, of course, that we don't need to fight against sin in this life. No, that fight remains and we fall often, maybe very often. But if we really repent, go to Christ from day to day, we don't have to be anxious about our guilt before God anymore. Our righteousness before God is Jesus Christ, who not only died for us, but he lives for us in heaven. He rose from the dead, so we know for sure the full price is paid we can go to him with our sins every day again. And the living Lord has that proclaimed to us over, over and over again. You have a new status before God. You still struggle with sin in your life, but through me you have this new status before my Father. You have forgiveness in me. You're innocent and free child of God, heir of all things with me. Instead of people on death row, we're people who are heirs of all things with Christ. And that's, for instance, how the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
through faith in the risen Lord, we're now already heirs with him of eternal glory. We come to the second part. Christ's resurrection means a new life, a new way of life for us now. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, through the resurrection of Christ, we not only have this new status as heirs of all things with Christ, we're also able to begin a new life here, now. It's great to be a member of God's family, but we need help to live as children of God now too. We have to now also be raised to this new way of life. And that's what the second benefit or blessing of Christ's resurrection is about as we confess that Lord's Day 17. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. The Apostle Paul, we, we read about that in Romans 6, verse 4. He writes there, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. So just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we also walk in newness of life. You see, the, the risen Lord proclaims to us we have this new status before God, free children of God. But now that we have that new status, what now? Being a Christian isn't a matter of saying, well, I'll just try to do better now. No, the Christian life is more than a set of resolutions and good intentions. We can't do better out of ourselves. Just as physically dead people can't make themselves alive again, so spiritually dead people can't make themselves alive again either. We can't pump life into ourselves. We need power from outside for that. We need Christ to give us power to live a new life, to change the way we think and act. Well, that's also then the benefit of Christ's resurrection from the dead, the second one. Imagine the power it took for the Lord Jesus Christ to come to life again. For his soul to reanimate this body and come back, body and soul, into the life again. While well, he gives that same power to those who believe in him so they can more and more overcome sin and live a new life. That power is available changes them from the inside out so they're no longer held in the grip of sin but want to live according to God's will and to his glory. That's the new life the Apostle Paul was writing about in Romans 6, verse 4. And, and in that same chapter of Romans, in verse 14, he writes about sin no longer being our master. When the risen Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord, sin is no longer your master. It doesn't control your life anymore. But Jesus controls your life. He's your boss. And he changes your heart via the word. He powerfully works in your heart with his spirit, reforms you, remolds you so that you want to live for him. You become a new person in this life more and more. Oh, I know we often don't feel very much like new people, do we? When we realistically look at our lives, and then we're not that radically different from our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus Christ at all and who have no connection with Christ. Because we have so many weaknesses, we fall into sin so often, yet we all experience that, don't we? That we don't really feel as if we're new people in Christ. And that we disappoint ourselves so often. 
But we're not alone in feeling that way then as Christians because look at the next chapter of Romans, Romans 7. You can read it at home. There the Apostle Paul talks about his struggle with sin even as a believer, and he writes verses 18 and 19, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. It's a battle in Paul's life too. And that leads the apostle of the Lord to conclude verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, from this, this sinful nature that holds me back. Don't forget, this was the apostle Paul speaking. And Paul had a close relationship with the Lord if anyone did. The point is we shouldn't be too idealistic either when we speak of the new life we live as Christians. We still remain sinners too. Righteous sinners our whole life long. That's why we have to, that's why we need to pray every day too and forgive us our trespasses, our debts. That new life here is always going to be just a beginning of new obedience. It's an ongoing battle in this broken life here. Also, as believers in Christ who have the promise of new life, there is still so much sin that we need to overcome and repent from. So much righteousness to grow in every day. So much room for that growth. On the other hand, congregation, it could also be that we just give up and that we don't even bother trying to live a new life anymore through the power of Christ's resurrection. Could be that... We don't even realize how great the power of our risen Lord is, how much he wants to lift our lives to a whole new level here. Could be that we're not open enough to let his spirit work that new life in us to really change our lives. The danger is very real. We're, we're satisfied with the status quo, the way we are now. And we're not that interested in changing our attitudes and way of life. We're comfortable. With that, it's our comfort zone. Oh, in ourselves, we're no different from other people. But when we really live out of Christ, congregation, there's awesome spiritual energy available to us to really change our attitudes, our way of thinking, our way of life. And that energy is the power by which Jesus Christ rose from the dead too. Imagine again the energy, the power required to overcome death. Death seems so final. Imagine the power that's required to overcome that, to come to life after being dead. Well, that, that energy of Christ's Spirit is available to everyone who is joined to Christ by faith. If we're really joined to Christ by faith, then it cannot be, but that power of Christ's resurrection will work in us and want to work in us more and bring about a change in us, in our attitude, our thinking, our walk. See, it can't be that people who are united to Christ by true faith are just going to continue living in sin either then. You can fall into sin. It's all around us. But a real Christian united with the risen Lord, 
isn't going to be comfortable remaining in a certain sin. The grace of God in Christ will work at that person, change that person, so he can't stand his sin anymore, but wants to repent from it, wants to change, wants to leave it behind. And by the power of Christ, you'll be able to do so more and more. Do that. More and more, let the bitterness go. More and more, be able to forgive. More and more, able to resist saying that what you shouldn't say. Able to fight wrong sexual desires more and more. More and more, able to be just just and, and, and patient and kind as the Lord wants you to be. More and more in control of yourself. Believers are raised up to new life already by the power of Christ here. Slowly, but surely, if they're Christian, if they're united to Christ. So as believers, we're not perfect yet by a long shot but we press on towards perfection. That's how the Apostle Paul talks about it in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. He writes there, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. Paul presses on as in a race, leaning forward and running in a race, presses on to take hold of perfection even though he knows he's never going to be perfect in this life. That's what he wants, though. And he does that because Christ has taken hold of him. So you see, the power of Christ's resurrection doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean you want to be perfect and that you're going to press on to perfection, towards perfection. You make progress in the race. We come to the third point. Christ's resurrection means a new way of looking ahead, looking at life. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Romans 6, the Apostle Paul looks back at the past. He says, you know, we were... We were put to death and raised with Christ. And that has effect on the present. By his death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus has given us a new status as children and heirs before God now, righteous in Christ. And that new status is going to manifest itself in a new way of life now, hate and flee sin and love righteousness. But there's more. We may also live in hope now, even though we also know that every day here is a day closer to our own death, our own demise. For Christ's resurrection is for believers irrefutable proof of their own blessed resurrection. Like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, 8, and 9, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. No, death no longer has dominion over him, over Christ. See, 
belonging to, believing in Christ means that his life is our life. Death no longer has any dominion over him, and in him, death no longer has dominion over us anymore either. Oh, we still, we're still going to get sick, and over time, sooner or later, we'll, we'll leave this life, we'll die like others yet. Christians can suffer and leave this life just like non-Christians. Causes quite a bit of struggle and sorrow in this life here. Sometimes we have a hard time accepting sickness and brokenness in our own lives or in the lives of our loved ones. So hard to deal with the suffering that comes with age or with the death of husband or wife who we loved and lived with for so many years. Or to watch someone weakening or to be weakening yourself. And it can be so difficult when a young person is taken from this life. There's no outward difference from unbelievers in all those things. We struggle with all those things too. And then we can ask, why? Why, why this person who did so much for the church of Christ and who was an example of faith while people who don't even care about God and who live in, in sin or in crimes just go on living? It doesn't add up, and we're confronted by those things and those questions all the time in this life. But the point is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives a whole new perspective on life, which you don't have if you don't believe in Him. We have a future to count on, to work for, to live for, while those who don't believe live for this life only. And what a harsh life it is. If this is it, if this is it, what a harsh life it is. Everything then is basically meaningless, vanity, senseless. Also your work. What in the world are you working for? What are you living for if, for this, if it's for this life only? But in Christ, we have a whole different perspective on what this life is about. What, what we live and work for and even suffer for. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a whole new perspective on everything here, good or evil. This is all preparation for the new heavens and the new earth, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, and Christ put us on the pathway there. His resurrection means that our bodies too, even though they break down here, are on the way to being, becoming incorruptible, immortal. When, when our bodies deteriorate here, we can say we're being prepared for resurrection and eternal life. When we stand at the graveside of a loved one in the Lord, we can say that when the coffin is lowered into the grave and covered with the soil, it's like planting a seed so that it can grow into a new and glorious plant. That's how Paul talks about burial, 1 Corinthians 15, planting a seed in the earth so it, it can become a whole new plant. And in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, he also says in the light of the resurrection of the body, you know, he says, that your work, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Faith and works of faith will follow us in the life to come. See, congregation, when you buy a new car, you're going to make sure it's got a warranty. 
That's so when the car breaks down, you can bring it back, have it fixed, have it fixed and made roadworthy again. It's a new car. There's no warranty for your body, though. Because when it breaks down and quits, or when it breaks down and quits, but, but the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of the glorious resurrection of the bodies of those who believe in him. And that pledge means a warranty. A warranty. Christ's resurrection guarantees that when our bodies give out, we will get them back better than new, glorified, immortal, imperishable. And that'll happen when he comes back. And that, that gives us all deep comfort and hope now already. It changes life here now. It even gives suffering here purpose. You see, people want to escape suffering and think about the right to end your life. Congregation, suffering here has purpose. It prepares us for the future life. So Christ's resurrection is certainly a blessing for our life here and now, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. A blessing for our life here. Christ's resurrection means a new status for us before God now. A whole new opening to a new way of life now and a new and comforting perspective on this life here and now. So believe him. Live for him every day. And then you have comfort and courage and hope every day again too. Amen.